0: We continue in our sermon series on the book of Ruth. We're going to be reading the entirety of chapter 3 today. Before we do so, just a little review, and uh, particularly for those of you who might not have been with us the previous weeks, we found out that Naomi and her husband and her two sons, uh, in a time of need, a famine in the land of Israel, went to Moab. While she was in the land of Moab, her two sons married uh, Moabite women and in the course of time her husband died and her two sons died and she returned back to Israel with her daughter-in-law Ruth, one of the two daughter-in-laws. She came back to the land Uh, people saw her, called her Naomi which means uh, which means, what does that mean? Naomi means pleasant. Uh, Nobody responded. I, I would have expected somebody to shout that out. Naomi means pleasant and instead she said, call me Mara, which means bitter. And, um, and so she said, I have left full, and I've come back empty. Um, and so she, um, the, the rest of the, the book of Ruth is essentially about how she's going to be filled once more, no longer to be empty. She um, was in a state of poverty, and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, began to glean in a field. That was the practice in that day for people who were poor. They would go to a field as harvest would happen, and by law, the owner of the field could go through the field one time and harvest, and anything left over was for the poor. So Ruth was in a particular field. She was gleaning, and uh, the owner of the field took notice of her, uh, put special um, protection on her, uh, gave her uh, even more uh, ability to glean, and um, so we found out last week that he was in fact a redeemer. Uh, we'll talk more about what that means. We went into that in depth last week, and so um, she comes back home and tells uh, Naomi that she's been in the in the field of, and she Naomi says that's a redeemer, and so Naomi hatches a plan. And that's where we find ourselves here in Ruth chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, "'My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking.'" At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, "'Who are you?' And she answered, "'I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer.' And he said, "'May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than your first, and that you have not gone after the young men, whether poor or rich.'" And now, my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning." So she lay down at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. She held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare with my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done to her for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest but will settle the matter today. Father, we pray that you give us wisdom and insight into your word, that you might encourage and change us uh, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we find Naomi's mother-in-law said to her in verse 1, My daughter, you should, not, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Now, if you have other translations, you'll notice that the word rest is translated differently in the NIV. My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? The New American Standard and the New King James Version it, My daughter, shall I not seek security? for you. And so what's going on here by this term rest? It goes all the way back to chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. In fact, today uh, in some ways is a review. um, Everything is kind of coming to a culmination here in chapters 3 and 4. And so back in chapter 1, we find Naomi with her daughters-in-law And uh, she speaks to them in chapter 1, verse 8, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. She's talking about, go back home, uh, go back home and get married. Uh, find rest, find security, find a home, find a place. And uh, Ruth says, that's going to be with you. Um, her other uh, her other daughter-in-law, Naomi's, uh, Naomi's other daughter-in-law, goes back to Moab. So rest is, a, is a, in this case, a husband. It's a home. It's a place of security, a place to be. Um, and we look for a place a place of rest rather than a place of wandering. Um, we have many military here. If you're in the military, you get it, right? Uh, it's nice to have a place, uh, a resting place as opposed to a place of wandering. Um, we had a family uh, that just left us in the not, not too long ago, uh, military family to another call. And um, they said, we're gonna be back. Uh, we consider Panama City our home. Uh, This is the place we want to end up. Uh, Some of you are military here, and you say, it's a nice place to visit, uh, but it's not my home, and I want to be somewhere else. And so we look for a home, for a place, for rest, for security. And we see that kind of language all throughout Scripture. For instance, even the dove that took off from the ark. Remember that story, the dove takes off? Noah's trying to figure out if there's dry land. The dove found no place to set or rest her foot, and she returned to the ark. Lamentations chapter 1 verse 3, Judah had gone into exile because of the affliction. She now dwells among the nations but finds no resting place. Now, Jesus in the New Testament said this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul's rest as you come to Jesus. Jesus bids you to come. We find in the book of Revelation that one of the curses of those that are in hell is this, verse, chapter 14, verse 11, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. So we, wanted to be, we want to be grounded. We want a, a home. We want a, a place of our own, a place of blessing and belonging, a place where I fit, a place of peace. And we find in our text today that we receive rest through redemption. Now, last week we spoke a lot about what redemption means. I can't go through the whole sermon again. If you miss a week, you miss a lot, okay, so just telling you, but you can go back and listen, it's on the internet, uh, and you can listen to it, but let me just give a few uh, bits of detail on what redemption means, that there was a redeemer in Israel by law, a goel, the Hebrew term, and the redeemer uh, would help the family, close family members. In a time of need, a family might sell their family land, which could be devastating for them, not only in the near-term, but long-term, in terms of uh, handing down the family uh, land, Uh, this is an agrarian society, and so the Redeemer, a close family member, the Goel, had the right of redemption, was able to pay for the land uh, that the impoverished family member sold, to keep it within the family. Similarly, if somebody was impoverished, they could actually sell themselves into slavery, and the Goel, the Redeemer, could also have the right of redemption, of redeeming this near family member from slavery. We found also that the Redeemer had the, had the responsibility of executing justice against wrong family members. The, the Redeemer was a protector. And finally, what we find today in our passage, chapter 3 and chapter 4 next week, is the Goel, the Redeemer engages in what's called leveret marriage for the good of the family. So leveret marriage is not something we have in our society, but again, it was for the good of the family. How did it work? If a, uh, if a man uh, was, um, a woman was widowed, her husband uh, died and they had no heir, it was the responsibility of the man's brother to marry the woman and their first male child would be reckoned as the descendant of the deceased husband. Why was that? So that the family line would continue, and again, the land would then be uh, given to that uh, descendant, person uh, uh, reckoned as a descendant of the family member. Again, it was to keep within Israel uh, the land uh, within families, helping them, uh, to have a way of supporting themselves over time. We find this in Deuteronomy 25, 5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead men shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, That his name may not be blotted out in Israel. We find at the time of Christ that this was something that they were well aware of. The Sadducees that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead came to Jesus to try to trick him, and uh, they said to him, "'Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up the offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us, the first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother, and on and on and all all seven brothers die. And so the Sadducees say, well, no offspring, so who is the man married to in the resurrection? Uh, They thought they had a gotcha. Jesus said, you guys don't know the law, you don't know Scripture, and uh, there will be no marriage or uh, people given in marriage in heaven. Uh, But the point for us is that this was a continued-to-be Uh, something that was understood and practiced in the day of Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, we say that the Goel, the Redeemer, uh, that this was part of his responsibility. The Deuteronomy law does not mention specifically the person as a Goel, and so why do we say that the Goel has that responsibility from Ruth chapter 3 and 4? It's from Ruth chapter 3 and 4 that we see this demonstrated as a responsibility. Another interesting aspect of it is that, um, that in the law, the brother was responsible, uh, but there's no mention of close family relatives outside of the brother. And yet, in uh, chapters 3 and 4 of Ruth, we find that this is extended to uh, responsibility to near family members. And so whether it is explicitly commanded in the law or simply Uh, an implication of the law that you should take care of your family in this way, Uh, we find uh, the responsibility of the Redeemer uh, to redeem uh, the deceased family member's uh, spouse and thus land. We'll get into that again this week and more next week as it plays out in chapter four. So, with that background, Naomi had a plan for redemption. Uh, Ruth, was, um, had caught the eye of a redeemer. And so um, Naomi said, may the Lord deal kindly with you, uh, Ruth, as you have dealt with the dead, excuse me. Naomi, uh, let me go back to uh, chapter one, verses eight and nine, because we find there that Naomi is praying uh, in uh, chapter one, verses eight and nine. So she hatches the plan, Chapter uh, 3, verse 1, Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And then in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, she says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, uh, the dead with the dead and with me, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And so she first starts by praying, right? It's not just a plan. She's already prayed. That you, Ruth, might find rest uh, with a husband, and she says, "May the Lord deal kindly with you." Now we talked about that word, kindly. That's a word, hesed, in the Hebrew, and it's a it's a much fuller word than w- what we think of as kindly in English. You know, if you're kind of having a tough time, and your neighbor comes over to your house and um, and says, "I hear you know that you've had kind of a tough time," and so. I baked some bread for you, and you go, well, thank you so much. That's very kind, right? But what if your neighbor uh, came over and said, uh, you know, I know you're going through some difficulty, and uh, your neighbor repeats what Ruth repeated uh, to Naomi, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried May the Lord do so to me and more, if anything but death parts me from you, as your neighbor's at the door telling you this, and you kind of close the door and say, okay, right? That's a little too much. Uh, That is Hesed. That is covenant love. That is covenant kindness that God has for us, that Ruth expressed for her mother. We see all kinds of examples of covenant kindness. It is a it is a relationship of family. It is a relationship with our God. It is it a relationship of covenant with uh, pe- the people of God? Covenant kindness in Hesed. And so, in chapter one, Naomi prays for the Lord's loving kindness to be manifested uh, by Ruth getting married, by her having rest. So, step one, she prays. Step two, she trusts in God's providence. A couple weeks ago, Heath preached on this. On the providence of God, that uh, Naomi just Ruth just happened to show up at Boaz's field, right? And we said, of course, she he didn't just happen to show up. And Naomi, uh, chapter two, verse twenty, says, when she finds out about Boaz and that Ruth was in his field, may he be blessed by the Lord, the Lord whose kindness, again, Hesed, his loving kindness, has not forsaken the living or the dead. She realizes that this occurrence of Ruth in the field of Boaz is part of the covenant faithfulness, the covenant love that God has, that he is sovereign. And so Naomi hatches a plan to seek rest for Ruth, Ruth on the basis of her prayers, on the basis of her trust in God's sovereignty and his covenantal love to work things good for them, for his people, to bring rest. And so um, that is what she's about to do, to hatch that plan. Now, when we speak of rest, we can speak of eternal rest, right? Um, we know that uh, there will be a final rest for the people of God, and that in the near term, in one sense, we will never find complete rest. We read of this in First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. "...but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy." Okay? We're the people of God, made partakers through faith in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. There's a very real sense in which we are sojourners, we're exiles, that this is not in our current state, earth is not the final home. And yet there is provisional rest, there is temporary but real rest right? And there's complete rest. That's what we've been saying during this whole time as we've been studying Ruth. A Redemption leads to restoration, and it is good and proper and right for us to pray for restoration and rest even in a limited way in this world. That is why we have a pastoral prayer, a pastoral prayer. We pray for people to be healed. We don't simply say Well, if those people die, they're going to go on to be with Jesus. We have no concern. No, we pray for provisional rest, for provisional healing, for provisional good, and yet we know that the Redeemer will not only bring about a temporary rest, but a final and complete rest that will happen when Jesus returns again. You know, what do we do when we want rest? Well, we pray. We trust in God's sovereignty. Sometimes that means we just wait. Sometimes, though, it means we move out and do something. And that's what Ruth did. We are to request, even demand, redemption from our rightful Redeemer. We see that in verses 6 through 13. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Now, Naomi planned, uh, f- planned what to happen and what Ruth would do. And why she did that, this exact plan, we don't know. Uh, some have even suggested there, w- there was some uh, hanky-panky implied here. Um, and, and the reason why they say that, there are certain Hebrew words that are open uh, to euphemistic interpretation. Uh, However, what we find here in the encounter of Ruth and Boaz is integrity demonstrated both on Ruth's part and on Boaz's part. Uh, If you compare this account to other similar accounts in Scripture, for instance, you have uh, the account of Tamar and Judah in Genesis 38. Um, I don't expect um, all of you to know about this encounter, but Tamar and Judah, similar uh, responsibilities that Judah had in terms of building up the family of Tamar. And so uh, when you compare that uh, to this, there is uh, explicit immorality in that particular account. And then probably the closest account in Scripture to this is Genesis 19, and it is regarding Lot and his daughters and an incestuous relationship uh, that was because the same issue of preserving the family line. In fact one of the um, offspring of this incestuous relationship was Moab. Moab was the uh, the original descendant from which Ruth came. She was a Moabite and so we find that in these cases there is immorality and in the case of Ruth and Boaz there is integrity uh, and yet, she is seeking uh, to alleviate her similar problem. And so, what we find here is Ruth calls on him to marry her, verse 9. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, some of your translations will say this at the bottom, that the the phrasing, spread the wings over your servant, can be translated um, spread the hem of your garment, Um, and either one of them means she's asking for marriage. If it's hem of your garment, then uh, that's explicit. Uh, We see in Ezekiel 16.8, for instance, where God says, I have married you, Israel, my people. Uh, 16.8 of Ezekiel, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you are at the age of love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you, and covered your nakedness, and I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. This is imagery of marriage. God married Israel in this way because that's the way it was done. You spread the, the, uh, the corner of your garment or the garment over, that was uh, to say that you are being married. She says to Boaz, marry me, Boaz, in no uncertain terms. You know? Um, and so exactly what's going on here, you know, why did, you know, why did she do this in this particular way? I don't know, but she needed to be alone with Boaz, and she needed to, in a sense, confront Boaz in no uncertain terms about her request. Um, I don't know if you've ever been served papers before, if you've been served by the authorities. I have. I was uh, working in a church down in Central Florida. I walked out of church one day, and I had an officer of the court hand me a paper and say, you're served, that you are. your presence is requested in a trial uh, to serve as a witness. I wasn't particularly happy about that. Nobody gave me the heads up about that ahead of time, that I was going to be a witness in court, and I didn't want to be a witness in court. Um, And so, in essence, what Ruth is doing is that. She is... Boaz has been served. I am Ruth. Enter into the covenant of marriage with me. Why? Because you are a redeemer, and it is your responsibility. <laughs> okay? So what's Boaz's response? He thinks it's great. Boaz compliments her on her kindness. Again, what's kindness mean? The covenant love that she is demonstrating for whom? for her family, for her deceased husband, for her deceased husband's line. Ruth chapter 3, verse 10, "'May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness, this last hesed, greater than your first. Well, what was the first kindness that Boaz is referring to? Well, he's going all the way back to where they had their first encounter, and uh, Boaz takes notice of Ruth, and uh, says, I'm going to protect you, Ruth. I'm going to allow you to be in my field and make sure that nobody harasses you. And so in Ruth 2, chapter 10, she falls on her face to the ground before him. She says, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Right? That's the, first, that's the first kindness that Ruth has shown to her mother and to her family. The second kindness is even greater, because in the second kindness, Ruth is seeking to provide for her family through calling on Boaz to be her redeemer. And he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, verse 10, my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. What we have in Ruth is not so much a romantic love story, but a covenant love story. So in the past, as I've read Ruth, I've kind of thought of it as kind of a romantic love story. This is sort of how I thought it worked. Um, Ruth comes to Boaz in the field to glean, and Boaz is attracted to this nice-looking woman, and he finds out who she is, and he shows her kindness, and not surprisingly, Ruth takes the hint, and in a rather forward way, asks him to marry her, and Boaz is delighted because he's a good bit older than Ruth, and is touched that she would think of him instead of all those young suitors out there, right? That's kind of how I thought of it. Mm Mm-mm. No, Boaz is clearly attracted to Ruth, but what is the attraction? He is attracted because of her covenant love demonstrated to her family. He is impressed. She, She sought his help in building up her family by marrying a Redeemer. You know, if she had married somebody outside the family, then all those benefits of the Redeemer would not be passed on to the children. And so Ruth asks, she really demands for him to spread your wings over your servant, Uh, right? That's one of the possible translations. Spread your wings over the servant has the idea of protection, and Heath preached on this again a couple of weeks ago. Spreading your wings over somebody is about refuge. It's about God's gracious protection. In chapter 2, when Boaz says, "Why have I found favor?" when Ruth says, "Why have I found favor in your eyes?" He says, "I'm impressed. I'm impressed with your covenant love, Ruth, that you have shown for Naomi." And then he blesses Ruth and says, "The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward to be given will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take, take refuge, right?" Boaz blesses her and says, you have come to take refuge protection under the lord in this great act of covenant covenant solidarity with your mother-in-law by saying her god is going to be my god you've come under his protection and now ruth says take me under your protection put your money where your mouth is if you're a believer in god if you're a believer in the law of god if you're a believer in the morality of scripture Then take your responsibility and put me under the protection of your wings. So Ruth says that uh, Boaz says this. Again, what's the attraction attraction? Verse eleven. And now, my daughters, do not fear, I will do, my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen. Know that you are a worthy woman. Now, this term, worthy woman, is the term used in Proverbs 31. Some of you know the Proverbs 31 woman, right? An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels, Proverbs 31.10. And then later in Proverbs 31, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so Ruth was such a woman, a worthy woman, And Boaz was impressed. He was impressed with this about her, including and especially her bold ask. So as an aside, an application for you young men, who are you looking for? Who are you impressed with? Are you impressed with a worthy woman who fears the Lord, showing loving kindness to her God, to those he's put in relationship to her, to her family, to her church? Does that impress you? And lest you think I'm only speaking to the young women, how about you young men? How about you young women? Who are you looking for? Because we find in chapter 2, verse 1, that Boaz is called a worthy man. The uh, The same description, the same word is used there. You know, Ruth's not simply impressed with Boaz because he is a meal ticket. She is impressed with Boaz because he is a worthy man. And next week, uh, the the way in which he is a worthy man will become even clearer. So, may we be that sort of person who knows the covenant love of our God. We know our Savior. We know our protector. And so, we show loving kindness to Him. We show loving kindness to those in the world around us. We show loving kindness to our family and to uh, the covenant community, the people of God, His people. So we should boldly ask for redemption. We should boldly ask for rest from our Redeemer. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16 says that we should do just that. Since we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, Let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We come boldly and ask for redemption. If you have come to Jesus Christ by faith and you are part of His covenant family, you've been made partakers of it, you are not on the outside, you're on the inside. And, and perhaps you feel like an outsider to God and the people of God. Maybe you feel alienated from God. And we are alienated because of our sin, because we're not good enough. But that's why Jesus Christ died. Christ died for sins once for all to bring you to God, to bring you from a, a, estrangement with God to a relationship with God where you're delighted in and you have this covenant Uh, kindness experienced through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so Jesus, the Redeemer, in His blood has bought you, has redeemed you into a relationship with Him, and you are under the protection of His wings. He has spread the covering of you. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read of Christ as the, as the husband of the church, as the Old Testament said of the people of God. So, the New Testament says of us as the church, we have been bought by Jesus Christ. We've been redeemed by him. He is our husband. And so, we come to him humbly. You know, Ruth called um, herself Boaz's servant, um, said, My, I am your servant. But she boldly came… And she said, redeem me, because it, because it is your responsibility. And so God has told us that in Jesus Christ, it is possible for us to come boldly before the throne, confessing our sins, seeking our Savior, and asking Him to redeem us and to protect us in covenant commitment to give us rest. Rest in this world, rest for a home away from home. Um, and yet, at the same time, we know that ultimately our rest is only going to be found in heaven and a new heavens and a new earth, but we will experience that incompleteness in the day of redemption. We have brothers and sisters in China that have had their churches confiscated or destroyed. We've had pastors jailed or worse. So, should we still pray to rebuild our sanctuary that it might be rebuilt? Absolutely. We still pray for rest and home and restoration. We should pray for our brothers and sisters in China and those around the world uh, that have had their homes uprooted, and we pray for them as I did that they, would, um, that they would receive peace and restoration, and yet at the same time while they're being persecuted that they would, um, that they would find their rest in Christ and trust in Him. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about this, about the number of people that were persecuted. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts. And early in Hebrews 11, uh, the author of Hebrews says, "...these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar." And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, a better country, a heavenly one. And so therefore God has prepared for them a city. And so we pray for a degree of rest now and we understand that we have a true and final rest that will be totally complete in the future. You know, sometimes at funerals we talk about so-and-so has gone on to their rest, you No, know? It's not that they're sitting in heaven in a lazy boy, okay. That's not what rest means. It's not they're just kind of, they're just so exhausted, they're just kind of resting there forever. No, rest as we've talked about today, a home, a place, peace, relationship with God, relationship with each other. Well, Boaz lets Ruth know that he is going to be the redeemer. He says there is a closer family member who by right has the right of redemption, but he is interested in redeeming Ruth, and he says, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you if that man will not redeem you. And so he does what? He, he presents a sign to Ruth and to Naomi, a sign of covenant love, a vow And there is a sign of covenant love that our Redeemer shows to us as well. Verse 14 of chapter 3. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, "These 6 measures of barley he gave to me for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law." This was a <clears throat> a sign of the covenant, a sign of covenant commitment, this barley that he has given to Ruth to show to Naomi that in fact he will redeem her, that Ruth is going To be redeemed. Now, again, this is somewhat of a a review. The whole time, the whole um, series here in in what we're doing today. Ruth one twenty one. We've already heard of this. Naomi said, "I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty." And we find here in the words of Boaz, "These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me." You must not go back empty handed to your mother in law. The word handed is not there. It's just empty. It's the same word. So we find at the very beginning of the book of Ruth the problem is this I am empty. And Boaz says, This is a sign, Ruth, this is a sign, Ruth, this is a sign Naomi. You are no longer empty. I will be your redeemer. We too have a sign. We have a sign of the covenant. We have a Redeemer that makes promises, a promises that we will not be empty, that we will be restored, that we will find rest, and it's in the Lord's Supper. Dr. Scott Swain says this about the Lord's Supper in Matthew, uh, this is a rather lengthy quote, but I think it's instructive. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, We know, of course, that Jesus doesn't fulfill this promise by being physically present with us because in Matthew 28, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. The way he maintains his presence among us is by sending us his Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ in our midst. The question arises, how specifically does Christ come in our midst? How does he maintain his presence among us and present himself to us within the context of the Lord's Supper? The answer comes through the words of institution that Jesus gave us at the Last Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. He is there to increase our hunger for the feast we will have in his presence at the wedding supper of the Lamb. We often think of doing something in remembrance of someone as something we do in their absence. You see stickers on the back of a car, in memory of Papa. But this is not what doing the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Jesus is all about. It's not about remembering someone who is absent. It is, in fact, a mode of his presence. In Exodus 20, in the context context of establishing the Passover meal, the Lord says, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. In every place where he causes a name to be remembered, where he causes the Passover meal to be performed and the meal to be served, he says, I will come to you, I will be present among you, I will bless you. Essentially, this is the idea that Jesus is taking at the Last Supper. At the Lord's Supper, Jesus has promised us that through the act of breaking bread and pouring wine that he himself would be present with us to assure us that by his death all our sins are forgiven, that by his death all the blessings of the new covenant are ours, he is there to feed us spiritually as we draw upon his saving nourishment through the mouth of faith. He is there to increase in us a hunger for the feast we will have in his presence at the wedding supper of the Lamb when he returns. We do have a Redeemer, and our Redeemer is present in part by means of the sign. He says, As we participate in the Lord's Supper, I will keep my promise. This is a sign that I will keep my promise. I am your Redeemer, and the Lord's Supper means that you are neither empty nor empty-handed.